Well, as I mentioned, we got lots of, lots of new dads and moms this spring, and, and we're going to be, over the next, or really over the summer, we're going to be kind of introducing you folks that we have, when we have pictures, we'll share them with you, because uh, during the pandemic, I mean, this has been one of those hard things, especially for families and for uh, ladies who've been pregnant, you know, they've really felt cloistered and disconnected from community and especially from God's people, and so we're trying to kind of grease the skids, and at least relationally, and get people connected once again. And hopefully uh, provide some introductions for some of our attenders who haven't been as visible lately. And, and there's been many in our church community who haven't been as visible. And we're going to kind of talk about that this morning. Uh, just sharing a, a little recap of where we've been over the last few weeks is we've been in a, a sermon series called The Spirit Is. And the first week, three weeks ago, I started off talking about how the Spirit is freedom and how through the Holy Spirit we have unrestricted free, total access to God the Father. And that's something new, actually, in the world. And what a blessing that is. Last week, Angela talked about how the Spirit is present and active in our lives and in our community, how much we need one another's presence, actually, with, uh, like as in the Spirit in us presence, but also like the Spirit in you and in me and how we need each other's presence. Next week, Phil is going to share with us about the Spirit is power, and you're not going to want to miss this because I hear that he's going to really talk about Star Wars a lot. Right, Phil? Yeah, see, Star Wars. You don't want to miss it. About the, yeah, the compare and contrast here with the Force or something like that. But he's going to be talking about the Spirit and the Spirit is power and how that affects our lives in a daily, in a weekly, in a moment-to-moment way. And this morning... Uh, just keeping with this, this theme, you know, freedom, presence, power, we're going to talk about the spirit is glue, right? Doesn't that fit? The spirit is glue. And I was trying really hard to find some theme with like the spirit is family or the spirit makes us one or the spirit is the bond. And I finally just decided I'm going to go with it. Uh, it's glue. And here's why. Because in our families, whether they're traditional families or whether they're non-traditional families, like Jim was sharing, like there are very different people present, are there not? And, and when we talk about the family of God and the, the, the church, like we are a family, there is very different people present. We're very diverse. We have a variety of backgrounds. We come from all over the place. And, and, and the longer that we're around each other, the more frustrated we can be with one another. So how can we learn to live in unity? We can do that because of the Holy Spirit. And maybe, just maybe, that's what's missing in our experience of church today. I've spent a lot of time in the last four or five days fussing over this message. In fact, I know I've spent more time on it, probably twice as much time as I do a lot of messages, because I'm nervous I'm really going to get this wrong, is actually what it is. Um, But... I have enough content here to keep you all until at least one o'clock, all right? So, so be very afraid. I'm not going to do that. But I've been fussing over it because I want to get this right. Uh, there's been pieces of this that have been stirring inside of me for a long time, and I'm finally like getting to a point where I'm like, oh, that's what it is. Um, and the starting point has really been wondering, like, what's up with the church? And not just the church, but our church too. And I'm not the only one who's been asking these questions like, um, you know, 
I, I'm on several Zoom calls with different groups of pastors from across the United States almost every week, and it always comes up like, what's up with attendance? What's up with giving? What's up with volunteering? What's up with all this stuff that used to work but doesn't work anymore? What's up with church? And, and where did everybody go? Where people are still, we're still asking that. And over the last nine months, I've done a really deep dive trying to learn about what's happening in the North American church. And uh, I've been reading books, talking to pastors. I've been reading different demographic studies, podcasts, conferencing, and just trying to make sense of how to chart a path forward for our congregation, for our family. And a much clearer picture is starting to emerge for me. And so today I want to talk about a few of the things that I've been observing, that I've been hearing from others in church, around church, uh, leaders of churches, and uh, specifically how they impact the relationships, the family of us, and the vitality of our congregation. And to be honest, uh, well, it's something I, carry, I care very much about. I try to keep close tabs on it. And honestly, I've never had to, to really pay attention in different church settings. And I've wondered if it's just because, well, now that I'm in a lead pastor role that I notice this more than when I was a youth pastor or an associate pastor or whatever, or if there really is something different or unique about North Bend, Snoqualmie Valley, Cascade Covenant. And I often joke with other pastors that I've served three different congregations while living in North Bend. They all happen to be named Cascade Covenant. And, and I, I joke about it, but I'm also dead serious because I got here in 2014 and the first three years were kind of like the transitional church that I inherited. And then there was this group of people that was kind of this congregation that was in the middle and then the pandemic started and that was just a new period. And so now we're after the pandemic, it feels like church number three. And some of this is just a larger function of what's going on in North Bend and the Snoqualmie Valley. And I've just decided that I'm going to tell people that I live in a boom town. Amen? I mean, it's like the Wild West. Only instead of gold, we're, we're buying real estate, I think. You know, it's, just, it's going to explode and maybe it's going to crash. I don't know. We're not going to talk about that. We're just going to pretend like everything's okay. But we live... Yeah, exactly. We live in a boom town. And there's been a tremendous a monumental shift just in our own community. In fact, I, I remember it dawned on me, um, this was a few years ago, I was standing in Ace Hardware, and I was listening to the two people behind me talk about where they were going to move next. And I was just like, but you live here now. Like, wh what's the, and, and I started to notice that that was actually a topic of conversation around town, whether you're at QFC or Ace Hardware or other places. It was like, oh, here's where we're going to move next. And it, and it dawned, I was like, wow, there's actually a difference between, you know, a place where you call home and a place where you reside. In North Bend, Snoqualmie Valley, used to be, I mean, generations of families calling it home. And then, you know, that's been shifting a lot over the last 10 years to the point where you would get now, right now, where you would kind of say that we're probably a suburban kind of commuter neighborhood. And the reason I'm talking about this and, and pointing this out is this affects relationships in our life and in our church. Because if you think that other person is only going to be here for a hot minute, you're not going to invest much in that relationship, are you? No, not at all. 
And Corey and I, our family has been here for eight years now, and this has been an amazing place to raise our kids. We love the beauty of this place. We love our neighborhood and even our neighbors. We love the access. I, I say it that way, even our neighbors. Um, we have an amazing neighborhood. I, we love the access to the outdoors. Um, but there's a part of me that feels like I haven't quite figured out, uh, especially relationships. Like, how do I meet people and build relationships? And don't feel sorry for me, okay? Corey and I, we're actually good at this. We, we connect with people pretty intuitively. Um, but we've had to work really hard to build community. It's taken effort. And we have some great friendships now. But man, we're like eight years into this. And I've noticed, you know, the conversations as a pastor that I have with people that I overhear, there's these different common themes that come up. And they're like, man, how do you meet people here? How do you make friends? What's the Seattle freeze? What's the Seattle freeze? And I don't actually know. I mean, I think I know. I'm not sure that I've experienced, but man, I've heard other people talk about it. And it all has something to do with, I think, uh, just where we are right now in our valley. I know, it's frustrating me too, Luke. Um, <laughs> it's this whole idea of what happens in the suburbs. And Corey is really quick to like, point out to me that I grew up in a very remote and isolated place. Like, no new people ever moved in. People left, but you, know, you were stuck with whoever was there, and so you had to figure it out. But where she grew up in the suburbs, you know, there's lots of ebb and flow. And people have their lives in different places. Your school is over here in that community. Uh, your workplace in that is over here in this. And then you might have, you know, select sports, friendships, and communities. You got your church over here. And all of that is happening, and you're connected out here. But then when you, you actually don't know people who live next door to you. Because the garage door goes up. The garage door comes down, and that's just kind of the extent of it. And so, man, how do you meet people? How do you make friends? You know, how do you connect? And um, building relationships takes time. It takes an intentionality, just like being a dad is. And you can't really microwave those things. And so I'm taking all the time to describe this because I've been trying to put my finger on something that just doesn't feel quite right. We're not a commuter church. You know, we, we're not trying to draw people from a huge regional area that are going to drive. We're a church of people in our immediate surrounding community. That's who we are. And, um, you know, how we meet people, or when we, when we ask, where are all the people? Or if I say, hey, do you know so-and-so? And increasingly, uh, it's because of the pandemic, you know, we don't know each other. In fact, we've had new attenders that have come, come to the area within the last two or three years that are moving now. And I know that they were never, never known uh, as people in our congregation. And a lot of that's, uh, it's, to me, that's heartbreaking. But it's also just kind of a function of all the chaos that's been happening in our world recently. And so the staff and I have been talking about this for months. How do we build how do we encourage like, the chemistry for relationships in our church? Because as staff, we know we have lots of fun, talented, and cool to be around people, but how do we actually get everyone to interact? Because it doesn't work like it used to. It used to work that you would show up on Sundays, 
And there was a frequency to that that you could just get to know someone by the number of times you'd had coffee in the foyer. The pandemic world and here on after, that's changed. People don't attend church as frequently. And we've, that's just one thing. We've kind of started talking, them about, talking about this as headwinds. We're encountering some stronger than normal headwinds as it relates to relationship building in our congregation. And here's, here's a few that we've identified. The first is, um, get down to it, if I can actually find where I got to talk about this. Aha. The first is COVID. I mean, this is going to have a frequency. There's going to be ebbs and flows. I've talked to families who are like, oh, my son got it, then I got it, then my daughter got it, then my wife got it. And this was like a month-long experience or six weeks. And the only advice that I've, I can give, I mean, it just takes people out, and, there's, and that's just going to happen. That's just going to be the way that it is from here on forward, uh, unless you're the Krasowski family, because they've figured this out. They, when, when someone in their family has COVID, they just all get in a van together and they go on a long road trip, okay? <laughs> this just happened. <laughs> you went to a wedding, right? Birthday party. Everybody at the party got <laughs> And so, you know, they left, and by the time they got back, uh, uh, four or five days later, everyone had had COVID and was on that meant. You know, this is, this is the Krasowski method of COVID containment, okay? Uh, Another headwind we're facing is the weather. Okay, it doesn't just keep us down, it keeps us inside. And it keeps us vitamin D deprived. Didn't even try and rhyme that. Uh, another headwind we're facing, spring sports. We're always going to face sports in the Snoqualmie Valley. We're made up largely of, of families raising kids. And so there's, you know, if, if your sports season is on, those families aren't as present on Sunday mornings or any time as they are during the rest of the year. Uh, we definitely have more work-related travel happening uh, in our work lives than, than even just nine months ago, six months ago. The summer travel season is huge in the Snoqualmie Valley or, or just for churches like ours. Um, people go on vacation. I mean, there's camping. There's things you can actually go outside most summers. Uh, and so that's, you know, that's already started. That's a huge impact on, on relationships in the body of Christ. Moving season, that's just something that I've, I've decided to call this. Uh, June is moving season. And man, in 2016, I think there was like, there was over 20 families in that year alone during the summer that came to me and said, this is our last Sunday. You know, we're moving. That, that's a huge, that's a lot of people. And, you know, just two weeks ago, I had three different families that came to me and said, hey, you know, you know, we hopefully we'll be back to say goodbye, but we're moving very soon. So this is one of those kind of ebbs and flows in a community like ours that is, this, this is just here to stay. But for those people that stay, that's a huge impact. I've had people tell me like, yeah, you know, I've had so many different neighbors and people move in and out of my neighborhood. Like I don't even try anymore. I've got my friends who I know are going to be here and I can count on, uh, but I'm kind of done just being friends with new people. It sounds harsh, but it's because it hurts. You know, you get attached, you like folks, and then you got to say goodbye. We struggle with saying goodbye. One of the things that as staff that we've talked about recently is like, how do we get better at saying hello to people and also saying goodbye? 
So that it doesn't just feel like this chasm of like, oh my gosh, you're leaving. It actually feels like, hey, we're sending you somewhere. We're still connected. There's this thing called Facebook. It works pretty good. You know, these, all these things aren't insurmountable, but they're having an impact on relationships uh, in our life right now. And probably the biggest one is the evolving impact of social media. And I'll talk about that in just a second. But all this adds up to fewer people in person each week, uh, less financial support for our ministries, and boy, do pastors like me love to count uh, butts in seats and dollars in the bank, right? In fact, we kind of reduce that to like, hey, how am I doing, and how do we feel, each other, feel about ourselves as a church based on those two factors? And moving forward, we have to wean ourselves off from those measurements, it's not that they aren't important. It's just that they never have been a good gauge of like, how are we actually fulfilling our mission? Because it's more than just putting people in seats. It's more than just funding programs and staff people. There's a mission that Jesus has called us to. And I'm telling you all this because I want us to be aware of this. I'm trying to like get, this is a topic that we can talk about. And I also want to invite you to be a part of something new. I want us to chart a new course in our life together as a church. I want us to be disciples of Jesus. And I use that word very, very intentionally. Discipleship for me in the past has meant, oh, it's that select group of people who memorize a bunch of Bible verses and then join accountability groups. Or you say, what is discipleship? And you go like, well, that's learning to be like Jesus. No, it's not. Discipleship is helping others learn how to be like Jesus. You see the difference? It's not necessarily about me. It's about me investing in others. I want us to be a church that makes disciples. Um, The second thing is I want us to become disciples, Jesus' disciples, who just happened to attend Cascade Covenant. And I'm going to resurrect this phrase that I used a lot last year. I want us to, we just happened to attend Cascade Covenant where we don't just go to church. We are the church. This isn't just a place where we go. We, we are the church. And when the Apostle Paul wrote these words to the Galatians, he said, So in Christ Jesus, this is chapter 3, verse 26, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for all of you are one in Christ Jesus. There's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. So the Gentiles did not have four walls, like a building of the church surrounding them, but they did have each other. And so what's Paul talking about here? And how could a group of people where there's Jews Jews and, Jews and Gentiles, okay, from the Jewish perspective, there's our ethnic group, and then there's everybody else. There's, you know, 
this is socioeconomic, slave and free. It wasn't slavery like what we're celebrating on Juneteenth, Juneteenth here and the, the ending of slavery in the United States. This was more of an economic thing where it was like indentured servanthood, where you'd have like a, if you were in horrible debt, you would spend like seven years working that off and then you were done. So there's people who were horribly in debt and there's people who weren't. Uh, there's male and female. I mean, all the different um, gender-based frustrations and conflict that we can have. Uh, Paul, this isn't the only place that Paul says this. He says this in other books of the Bible, other letters, and he's just creating all these categories. He's like, you know, we have all these differences, but in Christ, we're one. How do you do that? How do you do, how do you have that kind of unity? And the disruption that was caused by the pandemic lifted a veil on a number of problems that have plagued churches like Cascade. I mean, this is kind of a United States thing, a North American thing. And it's not that organized church as we know it should disappear, but there needs to be some significant changes. And what I'm about to talk about here, this isn't news to anyone. Uh, you can find lots of blogs, lots of books, lots of scholarly articles about this stuff. I mean, it's just been out there. It's just that it's never been bad enough for anyone to actually do something about it. So uh, my experience of the pandemic has motivated me to do something about it because it wasn't fun. Um, I didn't know if I was going to make it, even at this time last year. And, and by that, I mean like as a pastor. I didn't know if I was going to make it. The Great Resignation uh, included a lot of my friends in ministry who have left full-time pastoral work to do something else. Uh, one of my friends works in an Amazon warehouse now in Ohio or Indiana somewhere. And the last time I talked to him, I was like, so, I mean, he's a gifted person. He's a great pastor. So, like, what's stirring? You know, when are you going to end up back in... You know, are, are you ever going to head back into full-time vocational church ministry? And he's like, man, I don't know. I feel like here at the Amazon warehouse where I look, that I have more impact and a larger ministry for Jesus than I ever did as a pastor. I've heard that. If I've heard it once, I've heard it a hundred times. What is going on? Well, all of us have kind of known for a long time. It just was never bad enough for anybody to actually do something about it. So uh, the truth is that I decided if I'm going to continue in this role and in this calling, which I really feel like God has called me to, then I need to spend my future time and energy a little differently. And as I reflect, you know, I was like, man, I was doing a ton of ministry management. And managing ministry is very different than actually being on mission. You know, there's a huge difference between managing and, like, pursuing a mission. And I've come to realize that pastors like me, churches like ours, Christianity all over the United States, we've trained people, we've trained Christians to connect with Jesus and to connect with a church organization. Connecting with Jesus is a great thing. In fact, we can pat ourselves on the back for that one. 
That's good. That's about a relationship. But the relationship with the church, the relationship with God's people, has become more about the building and sustaining that, maybe the building, but the, the, it's become more about the organization than it necessarily has about the relationships. And that has to change. The connection to the church isn't uh, based on relationships, even, even though that's how it used to be. It's based on a bunch of other external factors like this. It, it's based on my proximity to home. It's become based on the personalities of the pastors and the staff. Um, it's become based on programs that are offered. It's uh, somewhat based on the people who attend during the pandemic. I was really saddened to see how much it was based on the politics that were supported from the pulpit or not supported. And a whole bunch of other personal preferences that really don't make a difference at all in the kingdom of God. In fact, we say we're going church shopping to find one that we like, to find one that fits our needs. And I'm doing my job well as a pastor if I'm helping people check off as many of those boxes uh, for growing numbers of people. That means I, I can pat myself on the back. I'm doing a good job. And I make this sound heartless. It's not. A lot of it's done out of the right place. It's like, hey, how can we connect the most people to Jesus? But something is off. And the problem is that as the organization is doing all the work, all the mission, all the disciple making, what happens if the organization has to shut down? What happens if your favorite pastor moves on? or gets let go? What happens if your favorite program is discontinued? What happens if you notice a staff person or someone you liked at church and they have a Black Lives Matter bumper sticker on their car or a Trump supporter sticker on their car? What happens? What happens if the worship music changes like the jazz on a Sunday morning? I'm just yeah. kidding. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And what, what happens if the pastor has a, a horrible moral meltdown? This is why people say, I love Jesus and not the church. Because we've made this relationship to church about all of this external organized religion stuff that really doesn't matter. How can we, here in North Bend, have a little cascade, and by the way, I hear lots of other pastors talking about this and heading in this direction. Like, we have to change this. And there are little changes that we've already started. Things like talking about the kingdom of God. We've made your experience of Christianity all about your sins being forgiven in Jesus. Uh, really critical, that's where it starts. But then what? We've got to talk more about the kingdom of God. Uh, the Holy Spirit has been largely absent in wide swaths of Protestant evangelicalism because we're scared of the Pentecostals. I don't know. <laughs> like we just ne never talk about it. It's usually just about Jesus or God the Father. We're, there's a trinity out there. Let's get to know the trinity. Uh, there, there are little tweaks like this that we've already, we've already started to do. But it's about discipleship. You know, we have to disciple people to see the church as God's people. We're one in the Spirit. It's not about all this external stuff that connects us to church. And the Holy Spirit 
is critical. The Holy Spirit is the glue that keeps us all connected. So um, I want to share a couple Bible passages with you to kind of underline that point. But before I get there, let me talk about social media for just a minute. Um, as I've been trying to figure out, like, man, where is everybody at Cascade Covenant? Uh, I was talking just like a month ago to someone, and, and they brought up this phrase. They said, I don't know, it's going to kind of take a little time for me to really be vulnerable again in friendships at church. Really? How come? Because I saw what you wrote on Facebook. Or I saw what they wrote on Facebook. And I was like, I mean, it was like a light bulb went off. I saw what you wrote on Facebook. How many people do you think are attending another church because I saw what you wrote on Facebook? Personally, I think there's a lot. I talk to pastors from all over the place, and they're just like, a third of my congregation left. They're just gone. And I think they went to the church down the road because ignorance is bliss. They, they didn't see what anybody else had written on Facebook, right? So it feels like a fresh start, like I found my people. And when I look at that, I think, wow, what a lost opportunity or what a tragedy. Like when Peter asks Jesus, how many times do I have to forgive someone who sins against me? Peter thinks he's doing really well by saying, I should forgive him seven times, right, Jesus? And what does Jesus do? He's like, "Uh uh-uh, 70 times seven. Basically like, you always have to forgive. And I know that some of you are thinking, well, I can forgive someone, but that doesn't mean that I have to be friends with them. Well, there is some wisdom in that, but have you actually asked the Lord about it? If the body of Christ can't figure out how to love people who are different than us and forgive people who've trespassed against us, then we aren't really following Christ, are we? And, and we're just hypocrites. Like the rest of the world looks at us and says, oh, just a bunch of hypocrites. I mean, sometimes I embrace that. I'm like, yes, I am a hypocrite, but I'm not actually trying to be. And so is it possible to be unified as, as a church? Yeah, but you, know, you think about teams, and you think about our country, and you think about workplaces. And is everybody best friends in those? No, not necessarily, but you can still be unified. Well, the same is definitely true in the church, except we have one huge, huge, huge advantage. We have the power of the Holy Spirit available to us. As long as there's a willingness in us to bear with one another in love, the Holy Spirit can take that in like totally different groups of people and bring them into unity. And we just, it's like we forgot how to do that or we don't know how to do it. Instead, we just remove ourselves from that place where we don't fit, where it's just a little bit uncomfortably awkward, where I saw what you wrote on Facebook and that really pissed me off. And I'm just going to go down the road and find another group of people where I think I fit. We have to stop doing that. I know that, in fact, I'm kind of preaching to the choir here. 
But I think this is something that as a church community, as Christians, we have to just call this out and say, we've got to learn how to forgive. We've got to learn how to choose a, a different kind of unity than just the, the stuff like, oh, everybody drives a red car, or, or, or I like the music, or I'm, you know, this is what I'm looking for. We have to move beyond that kind of thing. Paul says in Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 6, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. The Lord, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. I mean, he just keeps going, one, 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 one. You are one in the body of Christ. And if you look at the New Testament, I mean, it's just full of instructions on how to do this. It's full of instructions because they couldn't do it. Or they were struggling. This is hard. This isn't easy stuff. So we're in really, really great company, actually, if we're struggling with this as a congregation. But the point is that you're struggling with it. And you're leaning on the Lord and you're following the Spirit to figure out how to... I mean, we have to figure this out on a family level. We have to figure this out on a small group level. We have to figure this out on a church level. I mean, this is, this is following Jesus one-on-one. And if we can't witness this, well, uh, that's not the right way to say it. If the, if the rest of the world looks at us and is just like, us, oh, no different than anywhere else. What a horrible loss of opportunity. But if we were unified together as Christians in our community, Everybody would want to be a part of that, wouldn't they? Ephesians 2. Paul is talking to groups of Jews and Gentiles. And as I said, this is a racial thing. Ethnically, Jews are very different than you know, everyone else. They don't have a lot in common, and yet here they are in church together, and Paul's writing to them because there's problems. And he says this, You are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. And so what if, what if we just made Christ our unifying factor? Not our favorite theology, not our favorite music, not our favorite political party, not the color of car we drive. But what if we chose to make finding life in Christ the thing that brings us together? If that's the case, we can work through all this other stuff with humility and patience and gentleness and bearing with each other, we can do it. Even if I voted for Biden and you voted for Trump, we can do it. We can actually be friends. 
we can love one another, even though we have a very, very different approach on how to do things in the world. I know there are some people who might disagree with me, but I'm going to camp out on the New Testament and all of the things it says in there about being one in Christ and moving those differences aside and choosing Jesus instead. The Holy Spirit is our glue. He will hold us together. And uh, I'll, I'll wrap up just with saying, I, the other day, I was reminded of this the other day, I was at my, at my gym where I work out, and uh, I ran into a, a guy, I haven't seen him in like two years, two, two, three years, I mean, since before the pandemic. I'm like, Chris, how are you? And uh, it, it, just, it just so happens, like, he and I are both Christians. We talk about it at the gym. I know that seems weird. I don't, you know, we just do. It, it's come up. It's a safe topic of conversation. We talk about it often. Uh, as, as I'm, like, I was doing some push-ups or something, and another guy came around the corner, and he just so happens to be, like, there's, there's two guys at my gym that I talk about a lot about faith, okay? They just, they, they were there at the same time. And this one guy makes a joke about, hey, you know, you don't have to bow down to me. You know, you can stand up and look me in the eye. And I'm like, okay, whatever. You know that I only bow to one, and you bow to the same one. We're just all this, you know, dumb Christian jokes. And so he launches into this story. One of the guys launches into this story about how Christians came to be known as Christians. And, and I, you know, haven't fact-checked this, but I'm like vaguely remember. It's, you know, Christian is actually a shortened phrase of slave of Christ. And so you weren't a slave of Caesar. The Romans, they were like, oh, you're, a, oh, you're one of those Christians, slave of Christ. And how that became the, like, defining factor. And so we're just, I'm just like, yeah, that's really, that's really good. And as they walk away, it occurs to me, I'm a Protestant, the other guy's a Catholic, and the other guy is uh, Eastern Orthodox. And I, I was like, you know, if we picked out different theology or different you know, let's talk about communion, what's going on there. We're not going to last very long. We're all going to have a very different idea. I'm virtually certain that if we brought up politics, that that would end horribly. You know, there's all these things that... But yet, we had this moment of connection with one another because we all love Jesus. The Holy Spirit is active in our life. And we are, we are worshiping God the Father all the time. That's what brings us together. That's what is meant to be the, the focus and the priority in our life um, together in Christ. And so it's my prayer, it's my, my hope that, you know, maybe you hear this and you're like, I need to forgive some people. I saw what they wrote on Facebook and I just need to let it go. I need to move past it. Uh, some of us might need to heal. You know, we felt betrayed or we felt hurt or whatever. There's, there's, a, there's a Peter in our life. But guess what? All of us are like Peter. All of us have done those things to others. We need to forgive. We need to have grace. Maybe you hear this and you're like, I, I, I need to take some risk. You know, I need to be more invitational. I need to meet some people in, in the family of God here. I need to make room for relationships and be more present. The unity of the body of Christ is a powerful, powerful force. And it's one that our families, 
our neighborhoods, especially our town needs. The Holy Spirit is the glue that holds us together. Please join me in prayer. This is one of those uh, things, Lord, that we just don't do well. You know, we're, we're broken. We've seen conflict modeled uh, very badly over and over and over. And some of us just have knee-jerk responses to, um, you know, frustrations or arguments or whatever. Sometimes we just re- withdraw and run away. Other times we, you know, we just want to fight and duke it out or we just want to ignore and deny. I mean, there's just all sorts of things that we do when it comes to conflict, when it comes to dealing with people who are different than us. God, help us grow. We repent. We, we confess all of our consumeristic tendencies, especially when it comes to your kingdom, when it comes to churches. God, we want to grow as disciples, to be more like you, Lord, but also to help others learn how to be more like you. We want to um, be people who don't just drive to a church on Sunday morning, but when we drive away, we realize that we are the church. We're your body. Even though we might be separated physically, Lord, we're still connected through your spirit. Help heal your churches here at Cascade, here in North Bend, Snoqualmie, Washington, all over our country and world, Lord, that have been um, split apart for a variety of reasons. Let us not give the devil another foothold, Lord. Help us to forgive and to, to, to heal, to reconcile. That's a big prayer, Lord, to reconcile. Help us to do that in the power of your spirit. And this we pray, amen. Well, let me, um, I didn't preach till one o'clock, but I came close. Let me say a benediction for us this morning. Please rise. The Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine upon you and to give you peace. And may you start to hear the voice of his spirit in your life and know what to do with it. May you see your brothers and sisters in Christ both on Sunday morning and around town during the week and smile and love. Might you learn to forgive as hard and scary as that is. It is freedom. May you be healed in all of your wounds. There's freedom in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. We'll see you next week.